0: Alright, if you have your Bibles, the book of Genesis, this hour we will be introducing this week's Bible study exercise. Um, we, we have been spending a, um, I say how many weeks now, I guess uh, this will be I think technically week seven I think, um, following the Bible study exercise for about seven weeks around seven weeks, we have been looking at the subject of spiritual pitfalls. And this week will be the conclusion of that study, and then next next week we begin a a whole new series for the Bible Study Exercise podcast. And, of course, I've been trying to, every once in a while, bring in those, what we're doing there in the podcast, bringing it in here, and sometimes using uh, the church service to introduce the week is a good way because it offers more direct teaching where typically in the Bible study exercise, I do half of the work and then I give the rest for everyone else to do. So we're gonna hopefully try to bring this to this entire, I guess almost seven weeks to a, a very important conclusion and one that'll be very important. So if you haven't been participating, let me remind everyone. The spiritual pitfalls that we have looked at over the last basically six, seven weeks we have looked at the spiritual pitfall. Remember, a spiritual pitfall is the concept of an idea, it's, the, it's a concept, it's an idea of this idea that you're, you're basically living your Christian life, you're living your life, and you may not see it coming, but next thing you know, you followed, found yourself, you find yourself in a spiritual pit. It's, a, it's a, the, the idea of a pit being covered with something that doesn't look dangerous, but the next thing you know, you fall in it. You don't see it coming. All right, And there are a lot of different things that could be a spiritual pitfall. When we started the series, I, I tried to get people to just think of all the different kinds of spiritual pitfalls. But the Bible study curriculum that is available to everyone gives a, some specific ones that they uh, look at. And here's some of the ones that they've given us. Number one, betrayal. When we are betrayed in any way, shape, or form, that can be a spiritual pitfall because it leads to, well, all kinds of emotions and issues. Second, the spiritual pitfall of temptation. Number three, the spiritual pitfall of injustice. Next, the spiritual pitfall of difficult times, hard times, trials, trouble, tribulation however you want to classify it. Next, the spiritual pitfall of bitterness which is what we spent all last week working on and we we did a whole sermon on that concept now there are two more spiritual pitfalls and these are all combined together this week the spiritual pitfall of guilt and the spiritual pitfall we'll just call it I get unforgiveness or forgiveness There's a spiritual pitfall with forgiveness. You may not think of it. Well, forgiveness is a good thing, but there's a spiritual pitfall with it. All right, so what are the spiritual pitfalls we've looked at so far? Number one, betrayal. Number two, temptation. Number three, injustice. Number four, difficulties and trials. Next, bitterness. And then guilt and you can just put forgiveness. I I put it down as forgiveness. You could go with unforgiveness or... just the whole concept of forgiveness is a spiritual pitfall that you can find yourself in. Now, to look at these spiritual pitfalls, one section of scripture has been used for all of these weeks. And that has been the last section, the last part of the book of Genesis, dealing with the life of whom? Joseph. All right. And looking at the life of Joseph, we have seen someone who started off as a favorite son being given a coat of many colors, demonstrating his position, demonstrating that he is the favorite of his father. Everything is wonderful. Everything is great. He's even getting dreams, demonstrating that everyone's going to bow down before him. Man, things are great for Joseph, right? But while that's going on, what's happening in the hearts and minds and, uh, of his brothers? Bitterness, anger, wrath is developing, right? And this leads to them coming up with a wonderful idea. Let's get rid of our brother. Right? They think about killing him. They end up throwing him in a, basically a pit. Right? That's the whole idea of of spiritual pitfalls. He finds himself in a pit and then he is sold into slavery and he is a slave. And as he's, as we see all of these things transpire, we see what happens, right? Once he becomes a slave, then he faces temptation, right? He gets falsely accused. He ends up in prison. And then he's forgotten in prison. So the, that is, you have the betrayal of his brothers... You have the temptation he, he faces. You have the injustice that he's falsely accused. You have the difficult, hard times that you're sitting in prison for something you didn't do. And then people who, who you tell them, hey, help, remember me when you get out. They forget him. He's there for like two years. And then you can see the bitterness that could be possibly present, right? Not only in, in with anyone who's going through everything. And then we looked at that bitterness by looking at what? The seven times Joseph wept. And we've we'll noticed the chiastic structure, chiasm. Remember, we looked at that and how it followed a pattern, and we, we saw how he worked through all of that. Well, now we're left with two things to consider in the life of Joseph and in this story guilt and forgiveness. Guilt and forgiveness. Now, I, I, we could go back and still work on the bitterness concept. We don't have time to go back and unpack pack all of that. But we're going to move on and see where we can get this morning, right? Does that make sense? Is that kind of a good idea of where we've been? All right. The text is Genesis chapter 50. That's where we're going to be. Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50, and I'm going to read the, the, the verses involved here from a number of translations so we can get a, a good feel for what's going on here, right? Genesis chapter 50, we're going to start in verse 15. Now, we know that Joseph has made it to basically second in charge of Egypt, Right? And that there's been famine in the land, Joseph came up because he interpreted a dream, he knows this great plan and how to save and preserve everyone, because during the seven good years he saved up, so now that the seven years of famine, there's plenty to provide for everyone. Everybody remember that story? And now his brothers had come to Egypt for food, Joseph recognizes him, he goes to this back and forth in this long game with them, and... Uh, There's been weeping, there's been all of these emotions, all these things have happened. Now we come to Genesis chapter 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers, I'm going to read it from a number of translations, saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrong we did to him? New Living Translation, but now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him. ESV, when Joseph's brothers saw their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. Berean Study Bible, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph bears a grudge? then he will surely repay us for all the evil that we did to him. What are they worried about? They're worried about retribution. They're worried about, about Joseph exercising some type of vengeance upon them. And you can see why they would be worried, right? I mean, they, they sold their brother into slavery. It's Been there for a very long time. Joseph is now second in charge. He has power. He has position. And guess what else has happened? What really increases their fear? Father died. Why is that significant? Jacob loved Joseph. Joseph loved Jacob. So if anyone could possibly work this situation out, it could be Jacob. So you can understand from a human standpoint what's going on. They are concerned. They're fearful. Next verse. That's chapter 50, verse 15. Next verse, verse 16. So they sent word to Joseph saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. New Living Translation. So they sent the message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us. ESV. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Berean Study Bible. So they went, sent word to Joseph saying, Before he died, your father commanded. King James. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph saying, Thy father did command before he died. Saying now, what are they hoping to do here? They're, they know that the only, the only hope they may have in this situation is what? Yeah, the, the, Jacob is the only one that possibly can, can fix this situation, right? They're, they're worried, so they're gonna, they're gonna like, Hey, Joseph, we want you to know. The dad had something. Remember your dad? You remember that dad? Your now, I don't know if I would want to mention uh, Jacob or not, right? Because Joseph, when was the last time Joseph saw him? Teenager. Right? All this time has passed, Father is dead. I mean, that, that's not going to be... He, all those years that he didn't get to be with his father, it's going to bring up a little... You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know if I want to bring up, you know, the father that we robbed you of uh, your entire life with, basically. Hey, uh, he, he said something, though. Okay. What's, what's the next verse? Verse 17. This is what... And again, from a number of translations. This is what you are to say to Joseph... I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their their message came to him, Joseph wept. There's another one of those times that he wept, seven times. We we looked at all of that um, earlier. New Living Translation to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. ESV, say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father, Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Berean study Bible. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I beg you, please forgive the transgression and sin of your brothers, for they did you wrong. So now, Joseph, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. When the message came to Joseph, he wept. King James. So shall ye ye say unto Joseph. Next word. Forgive, I pray thee, now the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. Now we pray thee, forgive the trespasses of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. Now this brings in the subject that we're really going to emphasize this week, the subject of forgiveness. This is, he's being asked to forgive. Now we talked about Dealing with bitterness, yes? And the two and what were the two things offered for for uh, how to handle bitterness at least within the text? There were two things offered up and how to handle bitterness in the text. I've emphasized them all week and then I emphasized them in the sermon. There's only two things offered in the entire story of Joseph to handle bitterness. Okay, number 1, realizing you're not God. And number two, understanding God's sovereignty and what has happened to you. Right? Remember, where does that take place? Does everybody remember where that takes place? (laughs) Yeah, the next verse he says, What? Verse 18. The brothers come and bow down, right? We are your slaves. Right? And then 19, Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, am I in the place of God? Everybody see that? And then verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Those are the two things offered up. And the only way way Joseph is going to be able to handle these emotions is he constantly realized, hey, I'm not God. I'm not God. They did evil. But I'm not God. I'm not morally superior. I'm not the moral judge. I'm not God. Remember, we discussed this in great detail. And then you have to realize that everything that happened, God is sovereign in it. Now, that doesn't minimize the pain you felt because of the betrayal or because of the thing that hurt you. But you have to realize that everything that happened, God was involved. So really, your bitterness would be directed at God versus anybody else. But you say, but that person did evil to me. God was involved in it. All right, remember those were the two things? Okay, now those two things is the answer to the bitterness. But what do we do about the forgiveness? How do we understand the forgiveness? That's what we're going to unpack in the next about 30 minutes and see what we can do. All right, everybody got that? Now, I want you to write down, for, I want you on just a blank sheet of paper at the very top, just write down the word forgiveness. Right? And then from forgiveness, I want you to draw like an arrow going to the left, an arrow going straight down the middle, and an arrow going to the right. I want you on the first one, I want you to to write down the forgiveness of God or the forgiveness from God. And then write down the middle. Forgiving others. And then the one going to the other direction. What do you think the other one was going to be? Forgiving ourselves. Now, in this story, in this story, what do we have taking place from a human perspective? What do we have taking place in this story from a very human perspective? Did the had the brothers done evil? Has Joseph been extremely upset through this entire story? He's wept and wept and wept and wept seven times, okay? Like at some point, you're like, Joseph, you've cried enough, right? Okay, he's cried seven times. And each time, we know this. The weeping at the first is different than the weeping at the last. And how, do I, how can I be so dogmatic about that? Because the first time, what did he go do? He went, hid himself, wept came back, pretended he didn't weep and pretended he didn't even know his brothers and then set off on a wild game to make them fear and and be scared as in a sense how he had felt. That's very different weeping, right? At the later part, he weeps and what does he do? It's a reconciliation with his family. That's far different than the first time when he didn't even let them know who he was. You can't tell me that's the same. Like, any basic read, that's like reading a book, right? I mean, forget the Bible. You can't, I know everybody wants to make Joseph like, you know, he's pretty much Jesus, but he's not Jesus. He was, he was a human being like the rest of us. The first weeping is different than the last weeping, right? So in this story, what do we have now? In, now, that's all about the bitterness and the emotions and the time. To, as far as forgiveness, what, what do we have right here in Genesis 50 and the text in front of us? We have guilty brothers. Everybody can agree with that? Yes? We have Joseph. Who, is he going to forgive or not forgive? And what else do we have in regards to the forgiveness? We have one other thing in regards to the forgiveness. It's right there in Genesis 50. I read it like every verse, like five times from different translations. One other thing we have. We have guilty brothers. We have Joseph, who is the one who has been Sinned against. We got one other thing in the story. It's absolutely the the key to the whole story. No, the, the the whole thing. Jacob. Isn't that the whole point in the story? Right. They they say Jacob said, what? To forgive. So you got three elements. You got the. Think of it, remember, in some of the translations, they use the word command, right? Remember why I read it in every translation? You, I know you're probably thinking I was just wasting your time. I wasn't, right? Okay? So, you have the command of the father, you have guilty brothers, and you have, this, you have the son who have been sinned against. And nobody reacts to that? No, nobody sees, no, that didn't just, like, everybody just go, whoa. We have the Father commanding forgiveness. We have the brothers who have sinned, and we have the Son and whom they have sinned against. Okay, okay no, no. Okay, all right. No, no, nobody sees a picture here? Okay. Okay, nobody sees a picture. And there's a picture going on here, okay? Remember, there's already something weird going on with the whole chiastic structure and the chiasm, and we've talked about all of that, right? I mean, I don't know if anybody remembered that sermon, but we spent a lot of time working on all of that, okay? So there's something interesting going on here. Now, those are three different elements. I just told you to write down the word forgiveness, and I told you to draw three arrows, right? Three lines. One deals with Forgiveness that comes from who? Who would that be? The father. Okay, whoa, oh man, this is getting really complicated, right? Okay, and how does the father bring forgiveness? Well, the, the work of a son. Okay, well, that, that, I think you're catching on, right? Okay, then we have the forgiveness of others. Oh, there's the brothers. But then we have the possible forgiveness of ourselves. We'll have to see how that fits in or not. Okay, so far so good. Now let's just go through some basic scriptures here in regards to forgiveness that comes from God, right? We we could I think you could find a bunch underneath that arrow. You can just write down some of these scriptures. Let's go to Isaiah chapter one. Isaiah chapter one. Now this specifically. Is directed towards Israel, but you'll see this. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, Isaiah 1, 18. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Now, what is significant about this? What I want you to take from this is here's Israel who's committed all kinds of horrible sins and God still puts forth the promise of what? Forgiveness. There is forgiveness available from God. That is the message throughout the entire Bible. God is a God who will forgive. There can be forgiveness found in God. Go to Ephesians chapter one, seven. Ephesians chapter one, verse seven. Ephesians chapter 1, 7, speaking of Christ. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. There is forgiveness that comes from God. Go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. Colossians 1 verse 13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. We can go to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. who satisfy thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our Iniquities. Verse uh, twelve, as far as the east is from the west, so far he hath removed our transgressions from us. There is sin, there is forgiveness found in God. There is forgiveness found in God. Now, what what is absolutely critical to experience the forgiveness from God? Well, at first acknowledging. Your sin, there has to be an acknowledgement of wrong. You have to realize, I have sinned. I did wrong. I did something horrible. And then realizing the only place to find that forgiveness is in God. You've got to acknowledge your sin and then acknowledge that God is the only source of that forgiveness. So to to receive the forgiveness of God, one must acknowledge their own sin and then realize forgiveness is found in him. Everybody see that? Right now, that's forgiveness that comes from God. Now, the middle uh, line was what? Forgiveness of others. Forgiveness of others. Let's go to a number of passages. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 through 15. Matthew chapter 6. This is not a pleasant verse. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 through 15. Everybody there? Verse 14. For if you forget, uh, and well, if we go all the way back, uh, if we go back to 12... Verse 12, uh, Matthew 6, 12. Uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For that is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, will your Father? Uh, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Everybody see that? Now, what's the immediate problem that that verse just slaps you in the face with? I don't want to get too off track here because I want to just look at this concept of forgiveness. All right, now that raises some serious problems, does it not? What's the problem this produces? This this goes against salvation by grace alone through faith alone because of Christ alone because this says my salvation is dependent on my ability to forgive others. Has anyone here ever not forgiven anyone? Anyone sitting in the room currently or listening online haven't forgiven someone? Well, then you're not forgiven. And if you're not forgiven, you're going to hell. So how do we understand this verse? What do you think a solution is? Come on, come on. Think, think, think. Think in caps. What's the solution? Okay, well, think of it this way. It's not related to salvation. It's related to fellowship or relationship with God. I, I, am, all, I am forgiven And salvation, not based on anything I do, but based on everything Christ did, there's plenty of verses to demonstrate that, right? I mean, because unless you just throw out the whole concept of imputed righteousness and that I'm saved by the finished work of Christ. My forgiveness and salvation is perfect and complete no matter what I do. However, what not only is there salvation, what else is there in the Christian life? Relationship right? And if there is no forgiveness given, there's no forgiveness received, and if I don't receive that forgiveness, then it breaks my fellowship and my relationship with the Father and with God. Think of it this way Joseph and his brothers, are they are they will they always be brothers? Can that ever change? Why can't it change? Okay, let me say it this way. You know why it can never change? They're born that way. You know why my relationship with God, my salvation can never change? Because I'm born again. I'm born again and I'm adopted into the family of God, right? Right? that cannot change what I do because I'm born again. I've been born into the family, right? So that will always stay the same. And I'm born again because of what Christ did. But my fellowship, my relationship with God is dependent on many things. So for, in Genesis 50, for the reconciliation to occur as far as them now being in relationship, forgiveness must be, Given, even if Joseph doesn't forgive and say, get out, they're still brothers. Does that make sense? That's the only way to understand it. Any other attempt to understand this, you're going to destroy salvation by grace alone through faith alone. Right now I could go into greater detail there. But what is this important? What do we learn from this? What's the big lesson you need to learn from this? Okay, the whole subject for six weeks now has been spiritual pitfalls, right? This would seem to indicate that your lack of forgiveness will become a spiritual pitfall because it will create a problem between you and God. So in other words, someone can do something horrible to you, right? And you may feel like you're morally superior. Go back and see Joseph saying, I'm not God. Right. So you got to realize you're not God. You're not morally superior. You may feel morally superior in that particular situation. But if you do not give forgiveness, then you are now and there's an issue between you and God. And you're, but wait a minute, there can't be an issue between me and God because I didn't do what that person did to me. Doesn't matter if you don't forgive, you now have an issue with God. Nobody likes to hear that, right? Okay. I don't like to hear that. Cause you, as soon as someone does something to us, what rises up in us? A sense of moral superiority. Remember, I, I talked about this all about the whole bitterness thing, right? The only thing Genesis gives you to, to overcome bitterness is you're not God and God is sovereign in it. As soon as someone does something to you, you feel morally superior because you clearly didn't do what that person did. So in that specific situation, you may be morally superior. But if you're not careful, that moral superiority will lead you into a broken, a broken fellowship with God, even though you're morally superior in that situation. So in reality, the person who hurt you could possibly repent and actually f- get forgiveness from God and they're now more spiritually in a better place than you and you are the victim of what they did. And you're like, that can't be. But it is if you haven't forgiven. Nobody, nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear that. But that, that's, it's right there. Yes? Yes? I think, I think it's very important. Go to, uh, go to Matthew 18. Matthew 18, verse 21. Now, Matthew 18, verses 15 following, it says what to do. Someone sins against you, what do you do if someone sins against you? You go to them in person. They won't repent, what do you do? Two or three witnesses if they still won't repent tell it to the church right now peter hears all of this and what's peter thinking peter's thinking man there's a lot of people i like to bring up in front of the church okay there're a lot of people i got issues with a whole lot of people but this seems to imply that if they just repent then it's all they're all good well they can't be all good right especially some of the people i know because clearly peter's got something in his mind cuz look at verse 21 Then Peter said unto him, Lord, uh, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I shall forgive him? Now Peter's thinking seven. Okay, seven's got to be a good number, right? I mean, seven's a good number. Seven times, I mean, what more could you ask of me? Seven times, I've done my duty. And Jesus responds, 70 times seven. That's crazy. Now, what's the implication there? That forgiveness is a continual thing. We have to continue to forgive. Because if we don't continue to forgive, then we're not forgiven, which then breaks our relationship with God, not for salvation, but in our relationship and fellowship. It's a continual thing. Even if someone continues to do the thing to you over and over and over and over, and I know immediately, Christians are like, well, no, I'm not no, I'm not a doormat. You're not going to treat me that way. What, that, no, you're speaking the wrong. You need to find a new religion to speak those languages, right? Because the Bible says, "What's your view? Of, how are you supposed to approach yourself? Die to self, deny self, and no longer follow self." Someone who says, "I'm not going to be a doormat," you just stop dying to self and denying self right you did that's not easy now people and we want to modify this and go well Jesus couldn't have meant this and he couldn't have meant that and he didn't mean that because I I went to a a counselor and they said this and they said that you you can listen you can go to you can go get human counsel and they're going to give you all kinds of great advice and you can follow that advice Just don't try to pretend that advice is consistent with the Bible because the Bible here is not giving us a lot of easy answers, right? It's not. I don't don't like it any more than anyone else does. All right, now, here's what I want us to do. At the most basic level, forgiveness is, in a sense, canceling a debt. The most basic meaning, forgiveness is canceling a debt, Now we don't like that idea of canceling a debt when someone owes us something, right? If Joel owes me $50, I, I don't know. It's going to be hard for me to walk up and go, Joel, don't worry about it. It's only $50. It's only $50. I'm going to be like, man, I could do a lot with $50. Joel, not only did I make $50, it's been three weeks since you paid me back. I think it's now $60. In fact, I may even find a way to make it $70, right? I mean, if I can make it 100 a, 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 a I mean, come on. That's just good business, Right? I mean, come on. Yes? Well, when someone has hurt you, that's a debt. And you want them to pay that debt back, as we see right here with Joseph and his brothers, right? They're worried that Joseph's getting ready to pay pay them back, yes? They're worried. So forgiveness is simply the cancellation of a debt. That's a simple way of describing it. So what would it look like, or what would it look like to hold an emotional, relational debt over someone? If you don't forgive someone, you're going to hold a rel- relational and an emotional debt over them. You're going to hold on to that debt. Okay. May It may. There's probably a lot of ways it could manifest itself. Now, whatever forgiveness means, whatever we want to understand forgiveness to mean, it would be the opposite of what you think it would look like to hold that emotional relational debt over someone. It has to be opposite to that. Yes? For Genesis 50, if Joseph doesn't forgive, what could that look like? He's second in charge of Egypt. It could look like them dying is what it could look like, okay? It could look like them... Fought, I mean, Hey, I know this really great prison. It's wonderful. You can't, you, you can't beat the views and the food out of this world. I think you're going to go spend a couple of years there. The very prison he was in, I, I'm, I'm using that as a joke, okay? All, right. all right. I'm going to send you there. I think we can all agree that it would have to be. Now, We we hold a debt against someone when we leverage their offense to coerce them into an action they do not voluntarily choose. Did you hear that? When we hold a debt against someone, we have a tendency to leverage that offense to coerce them into an action that they would not voluntarily choose because we're holding it against them or we're going to use it to get well, what we want, we're going to leverage it against them. There are three ways that an offense can be leveraged. All right, you ready for these? Intrapersonally. Interpersonally. There's intra and enter and socially. Intrapersonally. Interpersonally. And socially. We're going to go through each one of these. Yeah. Intra, intra and enter. And socially. Intrapersonally, interpersonally, and socially. Now, the reason I'm going through this is because what I want us to see is that it's look, we love the fact that in God there's forgiveness, yes? Everybody loves that. But what's connected, and I haven't drawn the conclusion, the connection completely, but from that, we do know the Bible calls us to do what? To forgive others. And not just to forgive them once, continually. It's easy to say you've forgiven, but if you've forgiven, you've canceled the debt. One of the ways to know if you've canceled the debt or haven't ca- canceled the debt is to see maybe how you're using that debt or leveraging that debt. And it usually manifests itself in three ways. What are those three ways? Intrapersonally, interpersonally, and socially. All right? I'm going to read about each one. Are you ready? Intrapersonally means within, intra, ourselves, personal. We can leverage an offense against someone within our mind and attitudes. What does this look like? It looks like writing a narrative about this person that reduces them to their offense and evaluates the rest of their life through the lens of their offense. Does everybody understand what that just said? Yes, you now reduce that person and the only thing you see of that person is what? Their sin. This is in inside of you, you've reduced Emma to basically a one dimensional character. And all we see is whatever sin she did. That's all we see. Now, isn't it amazing? We don't do this with biblical characters. We see Abraham as a man of great faith, not the man who slept with another woman and lied to protect himself. We see David as a man after God's own heart who killed a giant with a, with a slingshot, right? Not the man who murdered, had someone murdered and committed adultery. We see Solomon as the one who gives us wisdom a day to keep the devil away, not a serial polygamist, adulterer, idolater. Isn't it amazing how we don't reduce them? But man, we have a way of remembering other people only in light of what? Their sin. This is an intrapersonal. We hold that debt, so we write a narrative about the person that reduces them to their offense and evaluates the rest of their life through the lens of their offense. For instance, someone lies to us internally, we make them a, fly, a flat character, a one-dimensional character. That's the word I use. They use this example. I, I'm, I'm, okay, I know I, there's a lot of books I couldn't use here. I think, does, has everyone here read Winnie the Pooh for crying out loud? Is it kind of like, okay. So am, am I picking a safe book? Okay, is that a safe book? Okay, good. All right, all right, all right. So think, think of it this way. In, in Winnie the Pooh, Tigger is only an extrovert. That's all he is. Piglet is only a worrier. Right? In other words, we reduce them to one characteristic. They, the character becomes one-dimensional. Like, sometimes in a... I mean, we could go through all kinds of literature and we could do this. But sometimes within literature, depending on the quality of the literature, if it's good, if it's good literature, typically the characters are not one-dimensional. If it's a good movie, if it's a good television show, even sometimes in a good song, if they're creating a character for the song, the, the person has, there's multiple multiple layers to the person, right? But sometimes people who watch these shows are not very good at seeing the layers, right? There's a show called The Rookie uh, that comes on ABC. It's a cop show, right? Well, the, the Rookie, he's an older guy, like 40, and he decided that, you know, at this age, he's going to become a cop, right? And So he's the rookie. Well, all Stacy sees for this poor character is the fact that he goes from one girlfriend to another girlfriend to another girlfriend. That's all she sees about the guy. She doesn't see all the other layers to the guy. She reduces the poor guy to, how many girlfriends is he going to have in three seasons? And I'm like, give the guy a break, okay? But, but that's all. She reduces him to a one-dimensional character. Right? You can probably think of some TV shows, right? Maybe some books. Where you reduce the character to what? Right? Winnie the Pooh and Winnie the Pooh. Then oh, oh, he's the extrovert. He's the one who's always worrying. Now, in some cases, a children's book will reduce a character to one dimension because it's a kid reading the book, right? But for an adult, you have to be. Hopefully, you get past that. But I think we do it to TV characters all the time. We reduce that person. To, you see, you get someone to talk about a movie or a TV show, and you're just like, oh, okay, never mind. Just. Okay. You've reduced that person to one. Did you not watch the rest of the movie? But if they show anything that seems to contradict one characteristic, some people will get mad about it. They're like, no, that character, that's not consistent with that character. And I want to look at them and going, and you do everything consistent with your character? You've got to have characters that are not one-dimensional. When we won't forgive, we reduce them to one thing. They're always a liar. They're always the thing. Right? We, we drag them out back. We take the brand. That's it. Whatever letter you want to put on them. Because we won't do what? Cancel the debt. They are now a liar. They never have the right to talk about honesty. They never have the right to talk about integrity. They never have the right to talk about justice because they lied. There will always be a liar. Have you ever done that? They have no right to talk about honesty, integrity, justice, or virtue to anyone in any setting for any reason. For them to do so is disruptive to us because it conflicts with the character we've declared them to be. We declared them to be that. And that's all they are. This pattern of unforgiveness becomes more destructive when it generalizes to an entire population. The person who hurt us is now representative of all men, all women, all bosses, all members of a particular race, all members of a socioeconomic status. Intrapersonally forgiving means allowing someone to become a three-dimensional character, someone with multiple facets to their personhood, any of which may be most relevant to a given situation. Our friend who lied to us may be a great parent, teacher, or coach who is appreciated for how they invest in others in those roles. They can be true, and they still may be a lousy friend whose lack of ownership for their sin against us makes it unwise for us to trust them. This type of forgiveness protects us from being emotionally disrupted by every comp- compliment this person receives and accomplishment in their life. Uh, interpersonal forgiveness liberates us from being upset by good fortune in the life of someone who hurt us. See, we, we, we don't want anyone else to see them different than us, right? That's who Bobby is. Bobby's a drunk. Always will be a drunk. That's all I know Bobby to be. We reduce him to that character because we can't forgive the debt. We can't cancel the debt. And so if someone comes along and says, Man, that Bobby is a good worker, you're talking Bobby Pierce? He's a drunk. It's not a good worker. Because I can't let Bobby be anything else. I can't let Bobby be praised. I can't let anyone say any positive thing about Bobby because Bobby is a drunk in my mind and how dare you try to give him a different character. That shows you didn't forgive the debt. Now this is hard. it's, It's taken me all the way to the age I am now So now sometimes when I'll tell a story about my mom, I can say positive things about my mom. Man, she took me here or she did that. I can now talk. There was a time I wouldn't say anything positive. She was the wicked witch of the west, east, north, south. She was Satan incarnate. She was evil, horrible human being. Now I'm a little bit able to go, well, you know, she did this and this. I, I, I can say some positive things. It's not hard, not, because she was more than just those things she did to me. Right? It's hard to say that, but she was more than just what was done to me. You are more than just, aren't you glad God sees more of you than just reducing you to sin? Can you imagine if all, God's, all God saw was you was a one-dimensional Sinner. And you know where I know God, you know why I know God doesn't do that? Anybody own a Bible? You ever read Hebrews 11? If you knew those people and all of a sudden you're sitting in the church and like, hey, we just got a letter from, we don't know who wrote, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, but whoever wrote Hebrews. OK, some people will say Paul. Right. And like and it's inspired from God. And you're like, OK, OK. And hey, he mentions some people and you're like, now I know this is not going to work from time frame. But if it was in the same time frame, you're like, oh, who did he write about? Oh, he wrote about Abram and Moses and Samson and David. Oh, I know. All, I was friends with all of these people. Man, this is going to be harsh. Ooh, they're going to be destroyed, man! Because they were losers. Abram was a coward who lied lied to protect himself. He almost got his wife in trouble, man. he, He slept with another woman. Give me a break, okay? Oh, Samson! Give me a what a loser! An absolute complete. You'd be ready to go, and all of a sudden they're like, "These are men of great faith," and you'd be like, "That's it! I'm sick of this place. I'm leaving." You'd be mad. God does not reduce them to their sin in Hebrews 11. He remembers their faith. And you're like, how can you remember their faith? Because their debt has been canceled. However, we can't cancel other people's debts. I'm so grateful God doesn't just reduce me to my sin. I'm so grateful. There's people who will never forget any sin that I've ever committed and I will always be seen as that. How dare he do this? How dare he do that? He should just lay on the floor with a, you know, a stake through the side of his head and suffer because that's all he will ever be. Well, that, that's on you. Not canceling my debt. But, I, but I'm pretty sure that Christ canceled my debt doesn't excuse anything I ever did. Not making an excuse. But you can't do that to people. You can't reduce them to one thing. Your your whole life will just want to make sure that those people, that person's always remembered. And you'll see people who do that. If the name, if a, if a name just comes up, they immediately like, boom, boom, let me in. I got some, I got some dirt on that person. If every time the name comes up, they, they're, they're dropping dirt, they haven't forgiven. And if they haven't forgiven, I don't care how stinking spiritual they think they are, their relationship with God is messed up, according to Matthew 6, not me. And if you do that to people, you're not forgiving. What's that one called? Intrapersonal. What's the next one? That was intra. Now interpersonal. Interpersonal by means between enter us and the person who offended us. We can leverage an offense against someone by the expectation we place on them or the special rules we expect to govern the relationship. All right? Hey, you messed up. Now, the first one is just, I've reduced you to a character, right? Am I, mind. Now, okay, now there's going to be some rules now, Bobby, because you're a drunk. You're no good drunk. So there's going to be some rules here. I'm going to give you some rules. Let's see how this plays out. All right, let's see how this plays out. Returning to the example of a friend lying to us, we could expect that they give deference to our preferences moving forward. Expectations, or that they give tangible evidence that all their statements are true moving forward, special rules. They're like, okay, now you messed up. Here's my my rules. You better do all of this, Bobby. You better do all of this. I'm going to double check twice, triple check. Now, when I do that, what am I showing? I haven't canceled the debt. If our friend is unwilling to voluntarily offset their deceit with more forthrightness, there is a reason to question their repentance. In that case, interpersonal forgiveness towards this person should not progress towards trust. If we try to face the fruit of repentance, we get baited into matching their lack of repentance with attempts to coerce or change or leverage. All right? All um, right. When we discuss interpersonal, uh, interpersonal commitment is being made when we say, I forgive you. Interpersonally forgiving means not using past offenses as a trump card and present decision making. You don't pull it out and go, no, 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 you messed up, you messed up. So you just, you shut up. You don't, you don't pull it out. You don't play it against them. Well, when we forgive, we forego the verbal formula. Because you did sinful action, I expect you to do this. We don't say, because you messed up, now I expect you to do this. You didn't forgive the debt. You're carrying the debt around. And you're pulling the debt out whenever you feel it's necessary. This means when, when changes relevant to their offenses are appropriate, we make it as a request rather than a demand. So it would sound like this. It would help me if you would... Do this because I'm still recovering from the action. If it's a reasonable request is made like this and is met with an aggressive, defensive, neglectful response, the relationship is not at a point where trust and reconciliation is warranted. So in other words, it's okay to maybe ask because you're struggling, but you're acknowledging what? That you haven't forgiven. And then the other person, if they're truly repentant, should be willing to accommodate but it still demonstrates that the debt has not been canceled. All right. So what's? So did anybody repeat any of that? I know I had to go through that really quick because I saw the clock. But all right. I mean, not that clock because that clock tells me it's ten thirty in the morning, so I got all, all day. But all right. Okay. So what? So let's go through these. There's forgiveness from God, right? And I didn't spend a lot of time with that one because all Christians, we, we all love that one, right? Oh yeah, God, forgiveness from God. But now this is the forgiveness of others. The story in Genesis 50 is all, what? how is Joseph going to forgive us others? And what does he say? I'm not God. I, is, I, I can't, I, I'm not the one who can hold the debt. You can't hold the debt. Do you hear what I just said? You can't hold the debt. And how does this play out? What's the first one? Intrapersonal, right? Interpersonally. And what does that mean? In your mind, you see the person as their action. I don't know what TV show it was. I wish I knew. It's in my journal, but I was watching it and I immediately grabbed my journal and wrote it down. The, the, the person in the, in the movie, it was a movie, TV show, I don't even remember, says, you are your actions. That sounds good, doesn't it? Everybody's like, amen to that. But that means you reduce people to what they've done. You reduce someone to simply their action, you haven't forgiven the debt. And then how does this play, that's intra, how does it play interpersonally? You basically, you, you, can, you can never forgive, the, you can never, you're not canceling the debt, so it just constantly shows up in your interpersonal with the, somehow, in other words, some way, shape, or form, it's going to show up in the interpersonal relationship. It's either going to be, you're doing this, you're, you're checking this, you're very, you're, ver- you're you, 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 or you don't like, you shouldn't be doing this or that. You're going to just have a hundred rules there. Now it doesn't mean, I want to make it very clear. It doesn't mean that if you're still struggling that you can't ask because you should ask. And the person who hurts you should be willing to do whatever they can to help. But just remember, you got to move past that at some point and cancel the debt. Right? If if Joel owes me the fifty dollars, which I think really, in honesty, he he does. I think he just hasn't realized it yet. Okay, some some point, if I if he's paid, if I've canceled the debt, I can't keep walking up to Joel and say, Hey Joel, you got fifty dollars on you today? Okay, Hey Joel, you probably need to come up with some fifty dollars. Really, you know, or at least fifty dollars worth of oatmeal cookies made by your sister. Okay, you gotta you gotta do you gotta come up with something here. That would not be canceling the debt, right? Or if Emma got got ready to to uh, you know get some money from Joel, I, I go, no, 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 He doesn't. He doesn't. he, he won't pay you back. He won't pay you back. See now now that kind of goes to the third one socially. But the point is, I'm I'm still not letting it go, right? I'm still not letting it go. At some point, you got to cancel the debt. You got to cancel the debt. And we'll have to stop there. We'll have to stop there. Now, in Joseph's case, in his mind, he clearly, at this point in the story, in Genesis 50, has he reduced his brothers to their sin? He knows that they've sinned. He doesn't. He, it's not like you just forget it, but he's like, I'm not God. Who am I to punish you? Who am I? And then he, he sees beyond them and he sees What? That even though they've done wrong, God's at work in this situation. So I'm not going to view you simply in light of your sin. I'm going to see you as my brothers, not as the one who betrayed and tried to get rid of me. That's hard to do. He he hasn't reduced them. And then the next one, it it doesn't sound like he's going to put in a bunch of rules on them, right? I mean, he could be like, well... Now, you could argue all the games he was playing earlier, what was he doing? Now, the games earlier, uh, everyone says, well, he did that because he wanted to know if what they, that they were really sincere. That's playing some games. In other words, he had not given, I will argue, he hadn't forgiven the debt. Because if he'd forgiven the debt, he wouldn't have been playing the games. Right? It would be like, you know, okay, we had, we, let's say we had to, uh, that, that we found out that Emma's stealing money from the church. Right. If I I like that, man, she stole, you know, five hundred dollars. Right. So we have to have a church meeting. Like, hey, Emma's been stealing money from the church, but she's repented. We're going to forgive. We're not going to make her pay it back. We're just going to let it go. But then I'm like, hey, Brenda, 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 watch Emma, The, the offering is back there. I need you to keep an eye on her. Now, the minute I do that, what have I just done? By forgiving your debt? I'm still seeing you as what? as a thief so I'm, I'm still reducing you to a one dimensional character and it's having problems with the relationship because now I'm trying to make sure people are checking on you and keeping an eye or I'm going to have to go back every time Emma walks by the offering I better go back there and count that you see how that works all of this plays out in real life now I'll just have to end with this The only way for you to cancel the debt of others, intra and interpersonally, so that you're not doing those things, is you have to remember how God canceled your debt. And remember, you're not God. All right. I hope that was helpful. I know it took a while to get to those things, and now I'm kind of kicking myself, maybe I should have just started with those things, because I think maybe I would have gotten everyone's attention better. I felt like at the beginning I was losing everyone, but I just felt like I had to work through everything to get us there, okay? But because we had to look at the text in Genesis 50, I was trying to read the text in Genesis 50 because it's just a beautiful picture. You got the father commanding forgiveness. You got the brothers who need forgiveness. And it's the son who's going to have to forgive. Well, it's God who commands forgiveness. And I get the forgiveness through the son. And I'm the brother who who, des- who deserves punishment, right? There's a beautiful picture there. I probably should have just waited to, to give that picture till later. But that is... Uh, That just remember intrapersonally and interpersonally and just ask yourself whose debt have you not forgiven? Cancelled. And just remember, if they're a Christian, their debt has been cancelled. It doesn't really matter what you think. Now I can I, I don't say that arrogantly, but, but I'm saying that pray I'm I'm thankful for that because man, that's that's where it comes into everyone who misinterprets if anyone's in Christ, it's a new creature. Old things are passed away, but all all things become new. That's not true, literally, of Bobby. Still got the old nature. But guess how how I'm supposed to see Bobby? As a new creature, old things are passed away. Because his debt has been canceled, so who am I to bring his debt back to him? Oh, but man, people carry your debt in their back pocket, man. At any point in time, they're really to walk and go, boom, there it is. Look what they did. Boom, there it is. Look what they did. Okay, well, you're right. I did those things. Can't change that. But I know this. Boom! It's been covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. Boom! It's been canceled by God, and you're not God. Now, that doesn't excuse what anyone did. I don't want you to think that it excuses any, anyone who's hurt you. It's not an excuse for what they've done. The issue here is your responsibility as a Christian Does that make sense? And your responsibility is to forgive as you've been forgiven or your relationship with God is impacted. All right, let's pray. Lord, we come before you this afternoon. Lord, we thank you for the uh, opportunity to look at such a very complicated concept. We will be working on this concept the the rest of the, the week. And I pray that we will give this much time, thought and consideration and that this will, maybe by the end of the week, we can put this together even better, and that we can really, really drive some of these principles home, because I think it's important for everyone in this room, and clearly it's, it's important for me, because we all have these issues that we struggle with, and we ask this in Jesus' name, and God's people said,